What's up, everybody, and welcome to Bible Thump. I'm your host for this week, Jacqueline S. Parrish, and today we're going to talk about why your nine to five matters. So, we all have a category of our lives that qualifies as work. You may work in the home, you may work in an office, you may work remote, you may work on a construction site. I'm a marketing director at a seminary, you may be a construction worker or a graphic designer or a home, stay-at-home mom or a preschool teacher. Whatever you do, you do have a category of your life that qualifies as work. And you probably, if you follow Jesus, at some point are going to ask, does this work really matter? Does this thing I'm pouring a hefty chunk of my life into actually have eternal significance? Now, I'm going to argue today that it does. I'm going to argue it based on Romans 8. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. I'm using the CSB because it's the one I have. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 8, no, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So, just to acknowledge the Calvinist in the room, I know this passage uses the P word. If you're someone who's very interested in the doctrine of predestination, and you're curious what it means, and you're unraveling what you believe about it, it's great. You desire a noble task, and I applaud you. We're not going to dig deep into it today, though. So, I'm going to hand you a couple of resources that will help you on your way. Number one is Daniel L. Migliore's Faith Seeking Understanding. This is the third edition. He has a section in chapter four on predestination. And on the other hand, you've got Miller J. Erickson's Introducing Christian Doctrine. I've got the second edition. And he has an entire chapter on predestination, chapter 32. Neither of these books is the final word on the doctrine of predestination. However, they each do a decent job of describing what's at stake when we discuss predestination and positioning the discussion within some helpful historical context. They also disagree with each other. So reading them in conversation will, I think, help you develop a more balanced, informed view. So these are two books that are available. If you want to learn more about the doctrine of predestination, look those up. Inner Library Loan and Better World Books are your friend in this instance. For the sake of our discussion today, here's what I'm going to assume predestination means in our current context. First of all, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you've decided to make him Lord of your life, I'm going to assume that you fall into the category of people Paul is referring to when he says those predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I'm going to assume that's you. If you haven't made Christ Lord of your life and you are not following Jesus, I'm going to assume you could fit into this category of those who are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son if you so chose. I hope that the next 10-15 minutes will give you an opportunity to learn more about what that would look like and help you decide if this whole Christianity thing is something you'd like to sign up for. So, let's look in chapter 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Okay, all things would include your job. It would also include all things. But for the purposes of our discussion today, it includes your job. All right. 
So all things work together for the good of those who love God. Okay. What does good mean in this passage? Because you might be looking around your office and thinking either God has some serious explaining to do or he has a radically different idea of good than I do. So let's see what this passage says. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Okay, God has a purpose for me that is ultimately good. What is that purpose? Verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he, his son, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The purpose God has for which he is working for your good is for you and all Christ's followers to be conformed to Christ's image. What is the good that God is working for in your life and in your job? It's for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's for you to look more like Jesus at 5 p.m. than you did at 9 a.m. Now. If you're a good Christian, you can probably stop the video now because that's a satisfying answer and you'll have a great day. I applaud you. I'm not like you. I see passages like this and they make me very uncomfortable because my first question is, I'm sorry, why does being like Jesus matter that much? Why is all this work worth just me becoming more like Christ? The reason that's hard for me to process is because I solidly base my worth in what I do. My worth and my value in my mind come from what I'm able to accomplish, what I can pour into my resume, the things I can do to impact lostness and forward the gospel and build the kingdom of God, all that kind of thing. In my mind, the only reason to become like Christ is so that I can do Christ-like things, Surely, in my mind, being like Jesus is just a necessary means toward the ultimate end of doing really Jesus-y things. And so this passage makes me deeply uncomfortable because it doesn't line up with that. So, as you've probably heard before, if a passage of scripture does not make sense to you, read more context. We have just yoinked three verses out of a larger chapter, which is part of a larger book. So if this isn't making sense to us, let's read a little bit more around this passage and see if that helps things make more sense. So we're going to back up to verse 18 of chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So, for starters here, let's talk about childbirth. Nah, you thought you were going to sleep. False. Don't worry, I won't be graphic. There's a very good chance that the image of childbirth and labor pains that you have in your head is a lot more influenced by Hollywood than reality, for a lot of reasons that I'm sure you can imagine. So when Paul uses phrases like groaning together with labor pains, the image that you're conjuring in your head right now probably isn't the one he's trying to paint. 
So let's talk a little bit about labor pain. Labor pain is productive pain. It's not torture. That's something different. Labor pain is productive pain. It's striving with everything you have to accomplish something valuable and worthwhile. If you're looking for a sound to imagine when you read passages like this, imagine the sound a weightlifter makes when he throws 200 pounds over his head. Or the sound that Eleven makes whenever at the end of season one of Stranger Things she uses all her power to disintegrate the demigorgon. This is the sound of all creation striving, longing for one single purpose. What is that purpose? What is it that creation is so desperate for? Well, the glory that is going to be revealed in us, the people of God. For anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Apparently, according to this passage, all creation wants nothing more than for God's people to look like God's son. That's apparently the end. It's not the means. Me looking like Jesus is not a necessary means tor towards me doing Jesus-y things. It's the end. It's the goal. If I get to 5 p.m. today and I'm a little more like Jesus than I was at 9 a.m., that is success on an eternal level. Here's the thing. When you choose to become like Christ, and it is a choice, it's a choice you make consistently over and over and over again in little mundane, minute ways throughout your entire life. When you choose to become like Christ, you become both a participant in and a conduit of Christ's redeeming work in the world. However, you cannot be a conduit of Christ's redeeming work if you are not a participant in Christ's redeeming work. You can't yoink the becoming Christ-like factor out of the equation and expect to get the same answer at the end. And this never really made sense to me until I had a kid. Now, pro tip, you don't actually have to wait until you become a parent for this to make sense to you and to feel true for you. I'm just pig-headed. And so God had to give me an entire sentient being to take care of before any of this would enter my thick skull. So, this truth came home to me in two ways once I had a small child. First of all, you can fake Christ-likeness a real long way, but you can't fake it indefinitely. People are like soap dispensers. If you apply enough pressure, what's inside is going to come out. And that sounded way less Dexter in my head. But the metaphor still stands. You can pretend to be Jesus-y. You can pretend to be Christ-like pretty consistently. But life is eventually going to get difficult, challenging, complex, hard enough that you're not going to be able to fake it anymore. I can pretend very convincingly that I'm a patient and gracious and hardworking person until about 3 a.m. when your newborn is crying for the 80th time that day. And that's around the time where who you really are starts to come out. So yes, it's essential for you to actually be like Christ, for your actual character to be conformed to Christ's image, not just for you to be really good at pretending to fit in with all the other good little Christian girls and boys. Because when the pressure is actually on, who you are is going to come out. Second reason why it's important to become Christ-like and not just do Christ-like things 
is that you are already having a powerful effect on the world around you, just probably in ways you're not paying attention to. Something you've probably heard new parents say, or have felt yourself if you have a kid, is that having a kid makes you suddenly and uncomfortably aware of how your daily, mundane, innocuous interactions with a person is changing them. How your daily interactions with someone is powerfully shaping who they are and the direction their life is going to take. The way I respond to my two-year-old when he pitches a tantrum in the library or whenever he comes and wants to talk to me when I need to answer an email or whenever he asks me to read the same book we've already read 80 times that day. The way I respond to my son day in and day out, those little, innocuous, boring, forgotten interactions are adding up to produce a powerful effect that is dramatically shaping who he is and what his life is going to look like. Here's the thing. That was already true of my relationships before I had a kid. Having a kid just dialed up the volume on that dynamic. You are already powerfully shaping the world around you through the people you're interacting with. At your job, yes, and throughout your entire life, you are already having a powerful effect on them, probably in ways you're not paying attention to, the same way I wasn't paying attention to it until I had to have an entire kid to make me pay attention. The fact is, who you are is coming out in the way you act and the choices you make day in and day out. And we're none of us as good at pretending to be like Christ as we would like to think. So yes, it's essential for us to actually become like Christ, for us to actually become like Jesus and not just get really good at pretending to be like Jesus because who you are is going to come out when life gets hard and who you are is already affecting the world around you in ways you probably can't predict and you might not even notice. So with all of that in mind, I would ask you to assume one thing and ask one thing as you go through your work week. First thing, ask yourself, how can this make me more like Jesus? We ask ourselves lots of questions at our job. How can I solve this problem? How can I answer this email? How can I end this meeting? Add to your list, how can this make me more like Jesus? How can this make me more gentle, more kind, more bold, more courageous and assertive? How can I respond to what's happening right now in a way that leaves me looking more like Jesus? And if I work with other Christians, it might leave them more looking like Jesus too. Second thing I would have you do is assume that your work has immediate eternal value, not eventual derivative value. Your work matters. The diapers you're changing today matter. The buildings you're building today matter. The kids you're teaching today, the lesson plans you're writing, the email marketing campaigns you're rewriting, these things matter. They matter because they are on the list of things that Christ is using to redeem you and all your brothers and sisters in Christ and all reality. Christ is going to make all things new as Revelation says and he's doing it now through your daily work. So pay attention and assume that what you're doing matters. Thanks for joining me for a Bible Thump. You can find me on social media 
as Jacqueline S. Parrish with two R's. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But I'm gonna be honest, the only social media I'm using these days is the LTN Discord, so hit me up there. I'm Jacqueline S. Parrish there as well. So once again, thank you for joining us for Bible Thump and Jesus Loves the Nerds.